Let me start with this. Knowing and, and discerning what is right and wrong can be really difficult. Right? Knowing what is true, what is right and wrong, what, what are the right things, the right decisions to make, the right actions, the right attitudes. It can be really difficult at times. We live in a, in a broken world. That's, that's one of the things that uh, facilitates that difficulty, right? Evil permeates our world. Because of sin, evil uh, corrupts everything. Think about this uh, in relationships or, or in the public sphere. Even when you try and do what is right with all sincerity and goodwill, people oppose you and, and would even oppress you. And, and even when, when something becomes... Think about when things become a cultural norm, how much harder it is to live in opposition to that. Think about, even at the moment, culturally, what are the cultural norms that Christians would believe are actually, in fact, wrong and are called to live against? It's really difficult. More than that, uh, in our broken world, at the moment, at this point in time, we live in a, in a secular world. I don't want anything to do with your religion, thanks. There was an article in, uh, in uh, an editorial, actually, from The Age two years ago that wrote this. And this was, two years ago, was when uh, the New South Wales... Oh, no, the Victorian government was pushing really hard to get RI out of schools um, because of how much it was poisoning our children's mind. They wrote this, the editorial from The Age wrote this, at last... Classrooms in the government school system in this state will be used for what they were intended, academic teaching and not religious instruction. Some 143 years after Victoria's Education Act made clear that education must be free, secular and compulsory, the Andrews government has committed to abolishing special religious instruction classes during school hours. That is as it should be. I want nothing to do with your religion, folks, right? We live in a, in a secular age. Now, there are, there are nuances to that discussion that I'm just going to rush past uh, in terms of RI, but, but there is a lot of opposition to Christianity in the world we live in. You only have to look at the, the, um, the current conversation about same-sex marriage. Just look at the, the way the discussion is taking place, right? Like I, w I wonder if, uh, if the, the yes vote and the no vote have sat down to just have a conversation about it, you know? And I'm going, I, I don't even know if that would be possible, right? Because it's, it's, it can be a very unhealthy discussion. So we live in a broken world and it makes it really difficult to know at times what is right and wrong. Culture pulls us in directions, right? The, Think of the metaphor of the, the jellyfish and the dolphin, right? It's like, you need to be a dolphin in every way. Where the temptation is to be a jellyfish and have currents pull us around and, and discern for us what is right and wrong, but that's not God's call to us. Secondly, uh, our minds are corrupted by evil. So not only is the world broken and culture is broken, but our minds are corrupted by evil. We're, we're so easily deceived. And we're so, at times, we're willing to fall for lies. Oh, that works for me. That's more comfortable for me. That's easier for me. That fits me. So let's do that. We take the easy way out. We become blinded by selfishness. 
and sin, the things that serve us. And, and, and even in our best moments, we, we often lack the clarity that we need. It sometimes feels like we're stumbling in the dark. Like, I feel like this is right, but I wish it would be more clear. So not only do we live in a, a broken world, but our minds are corrupted by evil. To add to that, life is really full of complex issues and, and a myriad of answers to those issues. Life is really complex. Think about sex and pregnancy. Are contraceptives okay? Is IVF all right? Think about murder. Is it ever right to kill? Do you know that Bonhoeffer was involved in the planning to assassinate Hitler? Is it ever right to kill a man? Sorry, is it ever right to murder someone? Sorry, there's a distinction there, right? Is the death sentence warranted? Think about divorce and remarriage, cohabitation, the issue of sexism or, or racism, wealth and poverty, and e economics, the distribution of wealth, the practice of Sabbath. This is just the beginning, right? Life is full of really complex issues, overwhelming issues. And that's, uh, that is not easy to walk through. And, and right at the end of all that, the, the reality for us today is we live by judgment calls all the time without knowing it, right? Sometimes we know and sometimes we recognize it. I've done the due diligence and I've thought this through. I've put my mind to it in prayer and in dedication. This is my conviction. But a lot of the time, we don't even know it. We've just, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a normal stance and that's what my community believes. Let's go with that. We often, even, we, have, we often even make decisions incrementally, right? All of a sudden we find ourselves looking at the world from this room of our own principles that we've constructed unknowingly. Oh, I, I guess that's what I believe. And we live by judgment calls without knowing it. So all that to say, it's really important that we consider how we should live, how a Christian should live, how a Christian should think about and engage with their lives. We're talking about Christian ethics. How should a Christian think about ethical issues, moral principles, the things that are right and wrong, the principles that govern our lives? Let me read to you Romans 12.2. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. We'll, we'll be sitting there for a little while. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let's consider our approach to ethics our short approach to ethics, our moral principles through this passage in three parts, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. A, B, C. So part one, do not be conformed to this world. This is the, a context for ethics, and this is really important. 
I'm not even talking about making a decision ethically. I'm talking about the context, the, the, the environment that we live in when we think about ethics. What's he saying? Do not be conformed to this world. Do not comply with the standards of this sin-dominated, death-producing realm to which everyone lives in. All right? That's when he's talking about world, that's not a, that's not a good uh, place. That, that understanding of world in that passage isn't like, this, look at this beautiful world around us. No, no, he's like, do not comply with the standards of this sin-dominating, death-producing realm. Consider the jarring realities of God's world. I'm setting the context for us as we think about, like this is a bit of a mind stretch, so as we think about thinking about ethically, we need a context to operate within. The Christian's life is about glorifying God. Our entire lives are about glorifying God. That's like, we're talking basic reorientation, right? Our lives are about God's glory. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Listen to this. This is Isaiah 48. For my own sake, this is God talking. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God is right to defend and treasure his own glory, right? Because God is the only thing that is eternally valuable and, and, and infinitely beautiful, right? Like it makes sense. It's logical for God to defend his glory because he knows that nothing else cuts it, right? Everything else falls short. So if he sees his people glorifying in anything else, he is right to rebuke them. Do you see the logic of that? That is wrong. You cannot glorify anything else above me. My glory is the most valuable thing in your life. So our lives, the context for the Christian life is glorifying God, is, is my aim, my highest aim is to glorify God in all that I do in my decisions. Don't glorify the world and its standards, right? Do not be conformed to this world. Do not glorify the world and its standards. Don't be taken in by it. Don't fall for it. Secondly, the Christian is made in God's image. This uh, is, is powerful. I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks now, and uh, I, I'm very, uh, very energized by this. Uh, Genesis uh, one, right? Uh, verse 27, God said, let us make man in our image, right? We, we understand that as the, this incredible uh, uh, introduction of the understanding that man is made in the image of God. Let me, um, let me just dig into that, right? Let us make man in our image. That word image is, the, is this, there's so much that we draw out of that word image. In the ancient Near East, right? In the, in the Old Testament, uh, an image would be placed in, in temples and public places and in, even in homes, and it would have a couple of impl implications. It would mean a few things. The image would mean, uh, firstly, it would mean a representation of the deity characteristically, right? So the form and shape of the image represented certain character traits of the deity. Does that make sense? So it, it was a characteristic of the deity so if you had a big wild angry bull 
for an image, it would tell you a little bit about the deity that it represented, right? So it's like, okay, that's a pretty fierce deity. That's like a, a fairly stern, angry, sort of wild, unpredictable sort of deity, right? So the, the image, or the, you can call it a, a, a statue if you want to simplify the word, or, or whatever, but, but the image would represent the, the deity characteristically. Secondly, it was remind, a reminder to the people that saw it that people would go about their homes and walk around publicly. They would remember the deity's authority, their reign when they saw it, right? You'd see this image, you'd be, that's right, that's who reigns here. Like you, you could say, ah, yes, the, the, the deity's rule extends to even here, even in my home, this deity rules. Uh, you, you would often find that kings would make images of themselves, right? Because kings would consider themselves as that they would become like gods. They would rule like God. So king would make an image of themselves and they would place that around their territories. This is where I reign. This is where my authority rules. And they would conquer new territories. Let's put some images over there to remind those people my rule extends even to there. Now, lastly, the third little part of an image, it wasn't just about a physical representation. It wasn't just that physical image. It was also a dwelling place. So, so the, the understanding of uh, idolaters in the Old Testament is that that image would carry the presence of the, de- of the deity it represented. So it wasn't just a piece of wood. That was their, their understanding was it's not just a piece of wood. This image possesses a part of the spirit of the deity that I am worshipping or, or honouring. So they, like it, it, there's a presence in that image, right? There's, there's a spirit of the deity inside of that image. Think about that word now, let us make man in our image, in that context, right? Through those three understandings of image. Firstly, you represent God characteristic, characteristically. So let us make man in our image. So men and women become the image bearers of God. Look at it through those three lenses. That's why murder seems so unnatural, right? It doesn't fit that a man made in the image of God, an image of God would murder another man. It it doesn't fit, right? Think about it. You represent God characteristically. Your character, your manner represents God. So in, in a similar way that a, a statue in the house of, uh, of an idolater in the Old Testament would represent the deity to those people, you represent God characteristically to the people around you. Secondly, you extend God's rule and authority. The New Testament talks about it with the understanding of uh, this word, I don't know how to say this, right? So someone can correct me. Vicegerent? No, okay, no one's ever heard of that word. So that, that, that role is, the, the role is like an administrative deputy to a king, right? So, so one, of like the, one of the right-hand mans of a king, like they administrate and they extend the king's rule and reign and they, they, in, they not enforce, enforce is too strong, but they administrate the king's Rule, And that's the, the New Testament carries on that understanding from the Old Testament. That's what image bearers do. 
So when people would walk around their, uh, their regions or their territories and see images of these deities, they'd be, that's right, that's a reminder. That's who rules here. We, as God's image bearers, do the same thing in our communities. You extend his rule and his reign around you. Again, think about this as a context of ethics. Think about the connection here. Lastly, you carry his presence with you. The understanding in the Old Testament, now we know this is not true, but they would believe that this wooden idol, this carved statue, contained and possessed the spirit of the deity that they worshipped. We carry God's presence, right? Christians are the, the temple of God. God doesn't live in temples anymore, right? He lives in his people. But let us make man in our image, the second contextual understanding. The third and final context for us is that we live in God's world, right? Listen to Psalm 89. This is like all through the Bible because we need the reminder, but listen to just one verse in, or sorry, a couple of verses in, in one chapter. Psalm 89, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Now listen to this. The heavens are yours. And the earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. We live in God's world. Why such an enormous universe and so few people? What's the point? What's, why, why with all those other planets, right? We're still looking for intelligent life somewhere else. It's like, just keep looking, guys, because you're missing the point. The point is, it's not about us. The point is it's about God, this great, glorious, ever-expanding, vast, intricate universe is about God. The, the Cassini satellite, this, this satellite that just crashed uh, like two days ago into the surface of Saturn, we launched it 20 years ago in 97, took seven years just to reach Saturn, Saturn, right? Like a couple of planets away, seven years, it's like... Tapping the desk, a bunch of scientists, are we there? No, 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 five more years, guys. Just hold your horses. Just to reach Saturn. It's been circling the planet for 13 years uh, from, from uh, 2004 till, uh, till this year. It's more than 60 moons around Saturn. It's, it's amazing. We thought there was like less than half of that until we sent this uh, satellite to, uh, to investigate. And, and the satellite's been sending us back photos and, and incredible information ever since. And they're finding these little moons that are going, oh, that looks like it could be a life-forming planet. <laughs> it's like, guys, seriously, come on. Th this little glimpse of Saturn and its rings, look online. There's a great National Geographic article about some of the, the uh, discoveries that this Cassini satellite has made. It tells us the glory of God through his world. 
I'm all for sending out some more satellites, right? That'd be incredible because I would love to find out more about God and His glory. Incredibleness of His design. It's just something we want our children to catch, right? You live in God's world. We, we pray this so much for our children. It's not about you, right? It's not about us. We live in God's world. So think about ethics again. Think about decisions. Think about moral principles through this context. And consider, consider an ethical issue and ask the questions. Does it glorify God? Does it reflect His character, His rule and His presence? And is the basis or the foundation of the ethical context about you or is it about God? Or to say that another way, does it tell your story or does it tell God's story? Apply that ethical context to the vast majority of questions you have. You will be helped. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. B. So that A. Do not conform to this world. That's the context of ethics. B. Engaging with ethics. How should a Christian engage with ethics? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Transformation happens through renewing your mind in the truth of God based in the Bible and reinforced through tradition reason and experience how should a christian engage number one they should engage with love for others john 13 34 says this a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another now the word love right is uh has a lot of meanings attached attached to it if i was um if I, if I was talking nonsense language, I would say I had a lollipop last week that I really loved, right? And I'm also married to a woman that I really love, and it's very confusing. The word love here, love one another, is not like love for a lollipop. It's not that, right? Like, I think we all understand that, but let's uh, just expand that a little bit. It's, the, it's, it's agape love. That's the, the word agape there. There's a, a few understandings of love in the Bible. This is agape love let me unpack agape for us it's not the same as liking but it does have an emotional element a commentator says there's a desire to see people flourish as god intended them to right that kind of love is to feel with and feel for others like in Exodus 3, 7, God, God says, I know their sufferings. When he's talking to Moses, he's talking about the people of Israel in slavery, in Egypt. God says, I know their sufferings. The word know there, that's not intellectual. That's an experience. That's identifying with. I know. I feel with them. I understand. You know, there's a walking alongside. I get it. The word is yada. <laughs> I know. It's not just intellectual. It's to identify with, to experience. Agape love. Firstly, it's not the same as liking, but it has an emotional element that there's an identifying with. Secondly, it's, ex it's in inclusive. 
It's universal. It knows no borders. Consider the people that Jesus reached out to and interacted with, right? The Pharisees were stunned time and time again. Oh my goodness. Look, look what he's doing. Look at the uncleanliness. Look at the people that this man hangs around with. In, uh, in Luke 10, Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan because someone uh, comes up to him and asks him, uh, I've done all these things. Uh, and God says, love God and love your neighbor. And then he asks the question, well, who is my neighbor, right? He's like, let's just, uh, let's try and weasel out of this a little bit. And God tells the story of the good Samaritan. And, and what he does with the good Samaritan is he's saying, everyone is your neighbor. If this man can love this injured man, and, and thinking about the, the context of that story, where that, that, was a, that, jumping a, that was bridging a big chasm, right? Like That's like yes and no vote sort of chasm. Like That's a, a whole lot of, uh, generally, a whole lot of conflict there. No one is outside of that category. Everyone is your neighbor. It's inclusive. It's a universal love. It doesn't know any borders. Again, think about this in the context of ethical issues. Thirdly, it seeks shalom. Agape love seeks shalom, restoration, completeness, peace. Right? That's a desire of that love. So how should Christians think about ethical decisions? How should they engage? They should engage with love. Secondly, how should they engage? They should engage by bearing their cross. Luke 9, and he said to all, we know this, if anyone would come after me, let him just deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Christians should engage in ethics with self self-denial put to death the desires of your flesh deny the worldly comforts that you long for i wonder if you've ever made a decision just to fit in just to live in in agreement with the people around you with your environment is that the is that does that mean it was a the right decision no probably not right deny the desires of your flesh, so that you might honor Christ with your decisions. Engage by bearing your cross. There's a, there's a willingness to suffer. Think about that, right? That is really clear in Luke 9. If anyone's going to come after me, let him deny himself, right? Deny himself and take up his cross every day. There's a willingness to suffer. There will be a cost to your ethical decisions, right there. Are you willing to suffer for your believing in what is right? Now that, that is far-reaching. It may mean you never have children. It may mean you are ridiculed. It may mean you are persecuted in any manner of ways. It'll, it'll very likely mean your life is harder than it would be otherwise. Are you willing to suffer for your decisions, for your convictions, for your ethical decisions? Thirdly, how should a Christian engage in ethics? They engage in liberating 
servanthood. What is the desire of the Christian? It's, it's the same or in line with Jesus' desires when he said in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That is, that's our hope, right? To engage in liberating servanthood, to engage with the heart, to serve and liberate people, to win them over. God has a heart for the oppressed, and so should we. Think, again, think ethically. Think about those that are oppressed in, in our culture and in our society. Lastly, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect and this is applying ethics right so so do not conform to this world that's the context for ethics but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that that's the how like how do you engage with ethics and then applying ethics right that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect the gospel creates ethics when Jesus saves you, you just you love the unborn, right? Like there's just the gospel just has all of these ramifications. Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. That's probably something that a lot of Christians agree on. But it's important to consider what are the what are the rest of the ramifications? Same sex or so-called same-sex marriage. We've commented on this before, but think about it. Marriage is about the glory of God. Marriage is about Christ and His church. It's not about love, right? Like That's not what marriage is about. Marriage is about God's glory in the beautiful reflection of Jesus and His bride. That's the picture of marriage. It's a creation ordinance. I don't need to say anymore, but have those conversations. Think about those decisions. Think about the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath is the one of the Ten Commandments that is disputed. All of the other ones, don't murder. Yeah, like, yeah, totally, don't, don't murder. Like, don't, don't commit idolatry. Sorry, don't commit idolatry or don't commit adultery. Don't covet. It's like, yeah, yeah, we're all good with those. But the, the fourth commandment, take a Sabbath. It's like, well, well, buddy, I've got lots to do, man. I've got things on my plate. You know? It's like the one commandment that's disputed. And that's an ethical decision. Think about it. A lot, of us, a lot of families are about to enjoy school holidays. It would be good to consider again what rest means for your family. What, how are you modeling that for your children? How are you modeling biblical rest, godly rest? We don't have to rest, right? We get to rest. Think about it. Do not conform to this world. Rather, conform to God's world and His reality. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Renew your mind through the Bible. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To know what is right. How you should live your life. Let me, uh, let me just finish with this. Uh, William Wilberforce lived uh, around 200 years ago and, and committed his life. He's, he's renowned, he's, he's known for um, his work to abolish the, the slave trade. 
um, 200 years ago. He came to Christ under the, under the influence of John Wesley, one of the, one of the uh, founders of uh, Methodism. So John and Charles Wesley. Um, the last letter that Wesley ever wrote was to Wilberforce, was to him and, and it, uh, I think he calls it like his parting charge to Wilberforce. Let me read you a, uh, a, a quote from this and, and pray for us. He says this in his last letter. Unless the divine power has raised you up to be as a, th- a Thanasius, contramundum, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that... E- the words this morning, the escrable, es- <laughs> opposing, that's an adjective, so it's not necessary in this case. I see, how, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that villainy, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. That villainy, he's talking about slavery. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of His might till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away before it. For us today... Go on in the name of God and in the power of His might till evil vanishes and the glory of God covers the face of the earth. This is our call. 